0: We're in Romans and are spending a lot of time in that book because we feel that if you get the contents of Romans right, you won't be wrong about many, many things. It's an important book. And in this text, you'll see what Paul has to say about the riches we have in Christ Jesus. And I'll bet you shared some of the very things uh, he is going to uh, speak to us about in this text. It's Romans chapter 5. That's where we are. If you care to turn there, if you have a Bible, Romans chapter 5 and... uh, this is how it begins, uh, verse 1 of Romans 5, therefore, isn't that odd? Would you begin a conversation that way with somebody? You just came up upon somebody, and that's the first word out of your mouth. That'd be so unusual. It would just so confuse them. It would obligate that person to ask all kinds of questions. What do you mean? What is, the, what is connected to, to the word therefore? And even as we read it here in chapter 5, it's such an odd beginning of a brand new chapter. But it obligates us to back up so as to see what Paul has in mind. Why are you saying therefore? It presumes something has preceded it on the basis of which you said therefore. So how far back before chapter 5 should we go? Well, if we had time tonight, we would back up to chapter 1 because everything in the first four chapters lead into Paul's therefore here in chapter 5. This is a transition in the book. You know what he did in the first four chapters? He argued. That's what he did. He got in debates with all kinds of people. Particularly, he got in debates with those people who felt like they were okay with God the way they were. They didn't have to pray the prayer that Brother Milton shared with us earlier. They didn't have to say, "Father God, I am a sinner." come into my life, forgive my sins, Lord Jesus. They didn't have to do that, they thought, because their own ethnicity, they were Jews. They thought that got them points with God. Or their religious practices, circumcision. They thought that won them favor enough with God. They didn't need a savior. They thought morals and ethics, and maybe they were moral and ethical. They thought it was sufficient to give them right standing with God. So Paul took four chapters to show them they are desperately in trouble because sin has so permeated their lives it manifests itself in thought word and deed they had to Paul had to persuade them they owe God a debt they could not pay because he's holy and then he told them but there's still hope even for one such as you because of the merits of Christ his death burial and resurrection because of his mercy and grace If you take by faith what he has done for you, your sin is forgiven. Cast behind his back, you'll gain adoption into his family. You'll no longer be considered an adversary but an adopted son or daughter of God. He'll give you a pardon if you ask him to. In other words, Paul said the only way to be right with God or justified with God is by faith. So he says after building that case, and he's so persuasive, good night, he won the case. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, that's the point he made in the first four chapters, therefore, having been justified, no, not by religion or, or by being circumcised or by doing good deeds, therefore, having been justified by faith, and now the good part comes. After all that argumentation and debate and... A persuasive argument about our sin nature. Now Paul is going to show us, those of us who've been justified by faith, the riches we have as a result. This is a good night, folks. This is going to remind us of how we've been blessed by the Lord. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. So that's the first thing we now have, but which we did not have, prior to having Christ. Now, we have peace with God. You know, some people would say, well, thank you, but it doesn't mean much to me because I'm not aware of the fact that I'm at war with God. Some people, isn't this sad, are persuaded that things are perfectly okay between them and God. Now, those are people, sadly, who really underestimate their sin problem. They don't understand what Paul said when he said, all have sinned, and what's the result? We fall short of the glory of God. Those are people who think they're good enough to stand in his presence and get a passing grade. So those are people who don't know they are at war with God through sin. It has to be that way because he's never sinned. He's not tempted to do so. It's contrary to his nature. It's comfortable for us. And we're at war with a holy God because of our unholiness. And can you imagine the pronouncement that there would come a day when the hostility would be over, there would be a peace treaty, no longer a declaration of war, but peace between one such as you and I and Almighty God. And Paul says, having been justified by faith, this is one of the byproducts thereof. We have peace with God. And I'll bet Paul loved using the word we here. It's just a little word, but it's significant. In the first four chapters, mostly the pronoun he used was you and they. He was speaking to those apart from Christ. But now he changes things and uses the pronoun we because now he's speaking to those who are in Christ. And he counted himself as one of those. And he said, therefore, since we... All Christians have been justified by faith. We have peace with God. Now, I guess I have to pause here and say this. There are many of us, perhaps even here tonight, who are not feeling that. We've accepted Christ with every ounce of authenticity and sincerity we could. And yet the experience of peace seems to be lacking. Um, We could say a lot about that. Could I just say this, though, however, at this point? Please don't confuse your feelings with facts. Feelings are wonderful blessings from God, but they have to be mastered by us lest they enslave us. Feelings come and feelings go. They fluctuate, you know. Those are called moods. They fluctuate. But here's the fact. We have peace with God. Now, the experience of peace on an emotional level sometimes is compromised. You know what does it? Sin. And other things, emotional problems, depression, anxiety, whatever it is, those are subjects for another day. And you're entitled to have those particular struggles. But don't miss the point. Even though you might not have the sense of peace with God on an emotional level, you have to lay on to the fact that you are at peace with God. He well, has nothing to do with you. See what the text says? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. You have your ups and downs. So do I. Life is an unsettling thing circumstances change. I understand all that. I accept it. But it has nothing to do with what we have inherited and which is delineated for us here. The peace we have with God is a position. It's not an emotion. I used to be in a hostile relationship with God. I was an adversary. We were at war. I was losing. And now that's all over. What I feel about it is a very vacillating, fluctuating thing. The fact is, because of Jesus Christ, in whom I put my faith, I have peace with God. You know, this was written at a time when there was something called the Pax Romana. Have you heard of that? Pax Romana? The peace with Rome, or Roman peace. It was a period of time where there was relative peace and prosperity throughout the Roman Empire. It lasted about 300 years. It was initiated by the first Roman emperor, Augustus. And so uh, it it was the atmosphere of the day when Paul was writing to believers, Christians in Rome. They lived in the atmosphere of Roman peace. But I must tell you, uh, Roman peace didn't extend its way all the way to believers. It was a time of great persecution and intolerance for believers. And so the peace of Rome was not anything Christians really benefited much from. Now Paul reminds them, I can't tell you about the peace of Rome. That's a governmental, secular, temporal, human, sinful person thing. It's unsettling and unstable. It's unpredictable and uncertain. But what I'm reminding you of is not the peace of a government. I'm reminding you of peace which you have with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And even in the most uncertain and unsettling of times, This persists. This is your new position in Christ. The hostilities have ended through Jesus Christ in whom you put your faith. You have peace with God. No matter who we are, what we do, (laughs) as Christians, we cannot forfeit this new position of being close to God. By the way, the word peace there, it comes from a Greek word which sort of means a... two people or pieces coming together. But they can't come together if there's something between them. Well, that was our problem. There is no way, I don't care how good we thought we were, how religious, I don't care about any of that. There's no way we could come together with God because something got in the way. It's called our sin. So we could not adhere to God We could not connect with him because there was a disconnect between us and God caused by our sin. But Jesus took care of that. He bore all of our sins in his own crucified body. Thank God he rose up from death. We serve a living Savior today. But he removed what otherwise was a separation between us and God. That's what it means to be at peace with God. We've been brought nigh by the blood of God of the Lamb. There's nothing between us and God anymore because of Christ Jesus. But there's more. Peace with God is one of the things we now have, but which we did not have before we had Christ. But there's more. Look at it, verse 2. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. We not only have peace with God, we stand in the atmosphere of grace. We used to be outside of the realm of grace. Now we're insiders. That's our new position. But you have to be introduced to it, you see, as the text says. See where it says, through whom we've obtained our introduction? Your Bible might say access. That's what it means. It's one thing for God to have grace for us, but we have to figure out how to access it, how to be introduced to it. Otherwise, we can't experience it. Let me illustrate. Uh, years and years ago, I was in the Air Force. I was in the Air Force, got thrown out, and then so joined the Army because their standards are lower. <clears throat> that's, that's almost true. But anyway, um, so I was in the Air Force, and uh, I, I, uh, I was selected. I was at Offutt Air Force Base, in Omaha, Nebraska, that's Strategic Air Command Headquarters, Offutt Air Force Base. And I was selected one year as the Offutt Air Force Base Airman of the Year. I, I, won, I won a deal, a contest. It, it, it's actually true. i would show you a picture. I'm only making up some of this. So I was the Airman of the Year. And I was told that the Commander-in-Chief of the Strategic Air Command. That was, that was headquartered there at Offutt Air Force Base, a four-star general. I remember his name, is General Daugherty. He had an award for me as the airman of the year. Well, that's good, isn't it? But it's not that good. How am I going to get to it? I was, an, I was a two-striper. He's a four-star general. You don't go into the office of a four-star general to pick up your award. You, you just It doesn't work that way. So how am I going to access it? Well, he knew I couldn't get to him. He sent, therefore, a junior officer under his command to come to my barracks, pick me up in a car, drive me to the general's office, bring me to the general, introduce me to the general, sir, This is Airman First Class Rothberg. He's here to receive the award. That's how it all happened. And I got the award. I'll show it to you sometime. That's how I did it. Well, listen to me. Father God has peace for us and grace. Isn't that good? Yeah, but not good enough. How am I going to access it? I can't barge into the throne room. He's free far higher than a mere four-star general. Even the general has to salute him one day. How am I going to access him? Jesus Christ was sent by him to pick me up and by faith to carry me into the throne room of grace where the Father bestowed upon me because I believed in his son. I went with his son. He bestowed upon me peace with God and this present grace in which I stand. Don't you think that's great? Come on. Look at this doesn't say God is from time to time gracious to us. That would be nice. This is far better. It's not that he is once in a while gracious to us. No, he's taken us from out here in the darkness and put us in a position of grace where we stand. We don't grovel. We don't plead. Oh, God, forgive me. Oh, God, would you have me? Oh, God, don't look upon my sin. That's done. Jesus said, paid in full. It is finished. God took me from that place where, yes... I had to beseech the son to forgive me. He said, yes, now that that's over, he took me and he put me in a new place where I stand totally forgiven and in a position of grace, irreversibly so. Let me tell you something. We didn't have that before we had Christ. A whole lot has changed since we came to know Christ. So we have peace with God. We have the grace of God. And there's more. Take a look. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. What's your past like? Would you even be ashamed to tell somebody? Has it been that rough? Could have been. What's your present experience like? Is it painful? It could be. Is it stressful? Probably for many. It's rough. Your past, your present we'd like to help, but we're limited. But will this help? Whatever may be true of your past and whatever is true of your present, if you're in Christ Jesus, get ready for a glorious future. The best is yet to come. That much we could say. We can't explain your past. We don't have explanations for the throes of your present day life. But we can guarantee, be hopeful, your future is grand and glorious. You have the hope of the glory of God. What does this mean? Well, it surely means to stand in the presence of his glory, which will emanate around us throughout eternity. I think specifically this. I think it was God's intention from before time for every created human being to be sort of like a billboard displaying his glory to the world. And my heavens, have we blown it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then we get redeemed, gloriously saved. And now we have the potential partly to represent God and his glory in a more precise manner. But it's only partly. But there will be one day, it's called heaven, when sin, its very presence, is eradicated from our members. And then... We will be in glorified bodies and the pure and undefiled, unlimited glory of God will be manifested even through us. That's what our future is going to be. That's what our future is. Listen to me. You didn't have hope of the glory of God before you had Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. We stand in the grace of God. We have hope of the glory of God. And there's more. Look at verse 3. Not only this, but we also, <clears throat> there's no typo in your Bible. I, I checked it. I know this is going to slow us down a little bit. We also exult. That means rejoice. We exult in our tribulations. Does your Bible say something like that? Trials, tribulations, something like that? Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that because if it didn't, I would want to change with you. This, we exult in our pain? Is Am I reading this right? We, we rejoice in tough times? Why? Can I, mean, I, I tell you this is one of the most peculiar things of biblical Christianity. The world reads something like this and thinks it's crazy, it's bizarre, it's irrational. I understand rejoicing in good times. I know that. I can rejoice in, in that I have peace with God and grace from God, but... We exult in our tribulations. How do I do that? Uh, Next word tells me. Knowing. Now this is a deliberate effort. This is something I have to focus my thoughts on. Knowing what that tribulation brings about. Here's the list. One leads to the other. First, perseverance. And perseverance leads to proven character. And proven character, hope. Now I got it. I can rejoice even in tribulations, trials, pains, grief, <clears throat> because I know it's purposeful. It's not the cruel winds of fate. It's part of the plan of Almighty God to do what? Shape me up for eternity. How does it work? Well, uh, staying under trial for as long as it lasts develops perseverance or endurance. Good times don't do that. You don't have to endure good times. You really have to endure bad times. And it produces in us the experience of endurance. We find out, with God's help, I can make it. I know how it is. You wake up and you say, I don't know how I'm going to go through another day. But then you do. And I hope you say, oh God, you did this. You got me through today. I believe you'll get me through tomorrow. So, so, so you see, tribulation produces the opportunity to persevere. And when we see God helps us to endure, it does something to our, our character. It proves it. It shape, shapes it. It hones it down. A character that emerges through perseverance in hard times. is a strong character. And it's such a strong character, it leads to hope. It's hope in this. Oh, God. You've seen me through every trial of life. You're going to see me all the way through and confirm and fulfill my hope of heaven. That's how it works. You know, those people who say accept Christ and life will be a bowl of cherries, or, or if you're a Christian, name it, claim it. It should be easy for you. I think those are well-intentioned people, but they don't get it. They'd be robbing us of the blessing God wants to have for us. I must tell you this, in the furnace of affliction, our character emerges a little more perfected than when things are going smoothly. If we're honest, we would all say that. You know what one of the things painful times, troubles, and trials does for us? It really gives us an incentive to cling to God, doesn't it? We need him. And my friend Mike Schumacher, who's our director of counseling, uh, today sent me a quotation, which he didn't know at the time I I wanted to use. I wanted to share it with you tonight. It's so fitting. It was uh, uttered, uh, written in a book called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. It's kind of a classic, Knowing God, J.I. Packer. Here's what uh, Mr. Packer said. This is what all the work of grace aims at. An even deeper knowledge of God and an even closer fellowship with him, grace, is God drawing us sinners closer and closer to him. How does God in grace prosecute this purpose? Not by shielding us from assault by the world, the flesh, the devil, nor by protecting us from burdensome and frustrating circumstances, nor yet by shielding us from troubles created by our own temperament and psychology but rather by exposing us to all these things so as to overwhelm us with a sense of our own inadequacy and to drive us to cling to him more closely. This is the ultimate reason from our standpoint why God fills our lives with troubles and perplexities of one sort or another. It is to ensure that we shall learn to hold him fast. Therefore, we can exult in our tribulations. We could say, oh God, this hurts. I don't like it. I wish it would pass from me. But I thank you for it. I rejoice in it because you're up to something, aren't you? You're enhancing my sense of inadequacy which at the same time enhances my dependence on you. Oh God, I'm desperately tempted to drift from you. If I have too many days characterized by smooth sailing, going to church is not that important to me. Praying is not that important to me. Seeking you in the word of God, that's not important to me. But oh God, it's desperately important for me now to be amongst kindred spirits who believe the same thing it's desperately important for me to pour out my heart before you and unburden myself it's desperately important for me to sit at your feet and listen as you speak into my hurt and wounded heart no god but for the pain which i now experience that would not be my situation i rejoice therefore in the experience of tribulation let me tell you something folks the knowledge that he is up to something even in the midst of the hardest of our hardships is not something we had before we had christ it's not something the world has folks we have the knowledge not of a trouble-free life but of a trouble-free eternity that's our hope and we can rejoice in our troubles now knowing God is readying us for a trouble-free eternity. But what if this hope, this future hope, is misdirected, misplaced? What if we're hoping for no good reason? Paul addresses this in our final verse for tonight, verse 5. Hope does not disappoint. He can almost hear his readers asking, but what if my hope in the Lord Jesus as the door to heaven? What if my hope in him is for naught. What if he isn't who he said he is? What if I'm wrong about all this? Won't I meet up with great disappointment? He said, Wait. hope does not disappoint. No, no. Our hope in the Lord Jesus does not disappoint. Our hope in the peace of God, the grace of God, uh, in which we have been introduced because of our faith in the Lord Jesus, it will not let us down. We'll never be ashamed of that. How do I know this, Paul? Look what he says. Because the love of God That's not our love for him. It's his love for us. Because the love of God for us has been poured out within our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So so here we are. We're putting all of our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. God hasn't left us with some confirmation, some affirmation that our hope is well placed. You know what it is? It's this sense. Where does it come from? We don't don't muster it up in our own wishful thinking. It's It's this impression from the inside because it comes from God's spirit in us. It's this deep impression that though God may love the world, he loves me personally. Something in you has persuaded you of that. Something has convinced you. In spite of you, he will not let you go. He loves you. Something inexplicable. It's not a book you read. It's not some pep talk. It's some, no, someone in you, a deposit God himself, in the form of his spirit in you, who was, it says, was given to us. Some people say you got to get the spirit after. No, no. When you ask Jesus into your life, he sends his spirit for all of us. And he doesn't come in pieces and in parts. He's a person. You have all or none of the Holy Spirit. You have all of him. When you take on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and what does he do on the inside? Even when our Heart is hardened and hurting. Something, something impresses itself upon our heart that says, I'm loved by God. And and we're so persuaded of it that sometimes we even give him a piece of our mind. We complain to him about what's going on because we know, God, I know you're not taking me seriously. I know you just love me. And you're looking past my uninformed words. You have my heart. You will not let me go. Paul says, this is how you can know your hope in the future through the Lord Jesus Christ. You can know. You'll never be disappointed by that. The evidence is the Holy Spirit in you has persuaded you are, you are loved by God. You know what Paul says? <laughs> your hope in what does not yet exist is based on something that now exists. (laughs) I've never been to heaven, nor have you. Our hope in what for us does not yet exist, heaven, is bolstered up by our realization of what now exists. And that is the assurance by God's spirit in us that he'll never let us go. He loves us. That's God saying, oh man, You ain't seen nothing yet. That's just a deposit. That's just the evidence of the best to come. Listen, folks. There are four things in this text we did not have before Christ Jesus had us. We did not have peace with God. We did not have access to the grace of God. We did not have a hopeful expectation of the glory of God. And we surely did not have the capacity to rejoice in trials knowing they are put to good use by God. You know what that makes us? The most privileged, blessed people on earth. Would you bow your head with me? Take 30 seconds. Thank God for saving your soul. And then I'll close. Yes, Lord Jesus. Our hearts are overflowing with gratitude. Beyond words for all that you have bestowed upon us the vehicle being our faith by your grace in the shed blood of you Lord Jesus and what a difference our simple faith placed in you has made peace and grace and hope the likes of which the world does not know but we do we are grateful thank you Lord Jesus thank you Lord for saving our souls thank you Lord for making us whole thank you lord for giving to us great salvation rich and free